Kira and welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I hope you're well and Happy New Year. I hope your Christmas was good as well. I'm recording outside today so in the background you may hear planes, trains, automobiles, chickens, dogs, roosters, T-Rexes, a whole manner of animals walking by. Today I want to talk about something which was inspired by my friend James who's a listener to this podcast and what he did was drop me a message with some suggestions for some topics that I might want to speak on and so thanks James this is what I'm going to speak on today I'm going to call it Karate Adventures and his suggestion was to speak on you know adventures I'd had in other countries or or just in general and for me what I see a lot of times is that people will speak about the adventures they've had on Okinawa or in Japan and training and so on and so forth which I think is valid and excellent and I always find extremely interesting what I want to do is I want to talk about something a little bit different I want to talk about the countries that I've lived in and today I'm going to talk about Papua New Guinea and what my training experience was there. Papua New Guinea is an interesting place and I was there doing some work for a couple of years and I really enjoyed it. It's like no other place in the world and it has its troubles to be sure. It's a resource-rich country that has some of the largest diamond tin mines in the world. It has oil and resources that are difficult to believe because of the way in which they just seem to have a land that is rich in these things. Also, as often happens with people who have and people who have not. In countries rich in resources, there are many other, shall we say, concerned countries that have set up embassies there and are helping themselves to the resources of that country. And I'm not a politician, so all I can do is give you my opinion as someone who's lived there. So I lived in Port Moresby, which is the capital of Papua New Guinea, a huge sprawling city in which many of the local people come from the outlining rural areas to make a living, um, seeking, just like everyone else, a job, a place to live, advancement, all of those kind of things. Now, the thing about Papua New Guinea is there are well over a hundred separate and distinct indigenous cultures with indigenous languages so in order for them to understand each other they speak uh, a pidgin dialect which is a combination of English German and local words and so yeah I was there and doing some work and one of my good friends who I worked with she was an administrator for the organisation that I was working with 
she had a son and a daughter who were very interested in martial arts and so introductions were made to me and part of my job was I was teaching some martial arts while I was there the introductions having been made I said oh you know come around and we'll do a little bit of training now what I ended up teaching them really wasn't karate as such it was more jujitsu grappling and so on and so forth because they were very much into MMA at that time as far as I know there was not much in the way of martial arts happening in Papua New Guinea although there was Taekwondo there was a wonderful kickboxer so there's a a fair bit of kickboxing but not karate I think there had been Kyokushinkai but it was difficult to track so where was the adventure in that? Well, the adventure in that was that there were, I had three students while I was in Papua New Guinea, and their name was Patrick, Isabel, and Dudley. Now, Patrick, Isabel, and Dudley lived across the other side of Port Moresby from where I did. And Port Moresby is an extremely dangerous place. There are gangs, there's a lot of criminality. There are also just like every other city, people who are just working hard to get an education, look after their children, all of those things. But part and parcel of that is that there is also a fair amount of poverty. And poverty is one of the things, I guess, at times that can be a precursor, at least for some people, to want to own other people's items or, or property. So there's a lot of criminality there a lot of gangs so what impressed me most about these three is that they would cross one of the most dangerous cities in the world every day to come and train with me and they would have to catch a couple of buses they would have to walk into some pretty dodgy areas and they would come and they would train and they would do anything I asked in the sense of training they would the calisthenics were hard break falling, repetition, all of those things, but these three young people would turn up at the same time every day and they would train their hearts out and they were very good. Patrick is Isabel's older brother who's gone on to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu which is doing very well in Port Moresby now Uh, and he was a natural athlete. Isabel was tenacious, tough and just a go-getter and would work really, really hard. Dudley, he was still doing a degree, and he was had a gentle spirit, but it was kind of one of those things of having a Buddha heart, but a demon fist, as they say. So we'd get in and we would train, and you know, for me, what it taught me was that people find whatever they want to in martial arts. I think these young people, when they first started training, they had never had access to it. And they'd actually said to me that doing martial arts was on their bucket list. I mean, they were teenagers. They were 17, 18 when they started training with me. And it's sad to me that young people that age that should be looking towards the future with, with bright anticipation starting to make bucket lists but anyway the training was awesome Um, they've gone on to bigger and better things but I really treasure 
what I learned from them. And I learned way more from them than they learned from me. And ended up that they ended up residing with me at the house um, as their mother worked just across the street and it was just safer that way. But I will always treasure my time training with Dudley, Isabel and Patrick. They're amazing young people who taught me a lot. Another experience that springs to mind was meeting a particular gentleman who was a school teacher or who had been a school teacher and was retired and he had a very interesting story he was a karate practitioner and I heard a bit about him from some mutual friends and on meeting him and hearing a little bit about him his father was a groundsman for the Japanese embassy sometime in the late 70s I believe and what had happened was his father had saved or helped out the ambassador from a tricky situation I have a feeling it had something to do with I think he saved them from drowning or something along those lines and I apologise for not remembering the, the exact details but it was something which led the Japanese ambassador to engage one of the staff who was a karate sensei, uh, a shurundu karate sensei, to teach this gentleman, James, karate for a year and a half, intensively. And this is like in the 70s. When I met James, it was, I want to say, 2016, 2017. Just, just just, on the cusp of, of 16 and 17. And um, when I met him, he came over and he, we started talking and then inevitably he did, we did a bit of a demonstration, training together, he demonstrated some of his kata. And then he produced from his bag this book that he was given in the 1970s, this old black and white tattered book with all the kata. And he had lovingly kept that book. It was very dog-eared but he treated it as though it was some kind of holy tome. Um, and I don't mean that in a blasphemous sense. Papua New Guinea is a very, very uh, Christian country, and they take those things very, very seriously. But this book that had the Shorin Kata, he was given by his sensei, who he trained with for a year and a half. Now, for me, what was amazing was that every day he practiced. He practiced his kata, he practiced his karate, every day loved it. He didn't own a gi, he didn't have an obi, he didn't have a certificate, he just practiced. And for me, just spending a little bit of a time time with him, I was impressed because that was the heart of karate for me. He wasn't after belts or accolades or tournament trophies, he just loved karate and he practiced it and he taught it to all the children in the district at no cost very very poor people around the community that he lived in and so he would take the children and teach them karate and I was very honoured to meet and train with him and I thought my gosh this is what karate is all about for me Um, this unknown man living in this community of people struggling on the day-to-day just to live and provide for their families 
and he is teaching the kids karate rather than allow them to make a choice which will see them join the local crime community. There are many gangs and they headhunt for young people as is often the case with those sort of organisations. So, he trained with passion, he trained because he loved it and he trained because he honestly believed that karate would make a difference in these communities. He didn't pretend to be anything he wasn't and I was just impressed. So, for me, I'm not a shurundu practitioner but I am a karate practitioner and yes I am a karate sensei if you want to use those sort of words I don't like addressing myself in those words but I'm an instructor and one of the things that I did before I left Papua New Guinea was presented James with James was in his I would say in his late 50s when I met him and I presented him with a gi, an obi, and a grading certificate for sundown. Now, was it about the certificate, the belt, and the gi? I have no expertise or any real knowledge of shodan. I'm a gorjuru practitioner. But for me, in that moment I realised that this gentleman was everything that I'd want to be having a sensei and I wanted to do something to acknowledge who he was and the contribution that he was making did this certificate have meaning? probably not in the traditional sense of it but for me it was all I could do to acknowledge his wonderful work and for me there was an example there that I need to emulate and so some people may go oh, well, what, what did you give him a certificate for um, well to be honest because he bloody well deserved it and there are times that sort of happen in our lives where we might be able to make an honest gesture that will support and uphold other people inspire and I know that I certainly am thankful for those times in my life when I've been the recipient of those moments so it was a small enough thing so when we talk about karate adventures I think it's really about the adventure is in the people that we meet and the reasons that they train either a close friend who wants to return to the island from where that person comes from and teach self-defence to young women. And I can't think of a more nobler, more honest, more real reason to teach karate and to teach martial and those sort of things. To give back. Leadership is service and being an instructor, being a practitioner, if we can find ways to serve our community, to help our families, and to uplift those people that really need it, then we should do it. And so that is my, or that is part of my Papua New Guinea karate adventure. 
I've got some more that we'll speak a little later today. But hey, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're well. Hey guys, if you get a chance, do check out Bujin TV. BujinTV.com. There's some wonderful content up there. I'm becoming a uh, content provider. I think some of my stuff might already be up there. The podcast is going to go there, but I'm going to continue doing this one as well. There's going to be a lot of extras. But um, yeah, <laughs> with that commercial done, have a wonderful day. Continue to train. Get your gear on. And just see what happens if in doubt. Alright guys, take care. And I hope you're having your own karate adventures.